Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. My name is Christian Mesa. My name is Aaron Bennett. And my name is Justin McCartney. And we are here to bring you another fantastic episode of Geopolitics Flagship Podcast, Fly on the Wall. And this week, we truly have a timely guest uh, and one of the nicest human beings that we've ever had on this podcast. Her name is Kathy Koch. But before we get too much into the weeds about what we'll be talking about with her, uh, let's go through our usual orders of business. First things first, make sure you subscribe to our podcast all across all platforms that include social media, iTunes, SoundCloud, that weird Android market where podcasts appear yeah, on your phone. One. Justin's the expert on that. Google I have no idea. Something? Yeah. Google Play? Get Google an Play. iPhone. We're not indoors. We're <laughs> sponsored by anyone. But if anyone at Apple is listening, we would love to be uh, sponsored. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, so make sure you do that so you get all of the greatest content brought directly to you and you don't have to you know, tool around on our Twitter to, too long to find a, some great podcast. Okay, so today on the pod, we're going to have Kathy Koch, um, who is essentially like the wonkiest person we've had on this podcast thus far. But it's a lot sure. of fun. Uh, yes. Um, so Kathy is going to talk to us about um, basically what it's like to actually make policy. Um, so she's going to talk to us a little bit about um, her work um, working for Bacchus um, in the Senate Finance Committee. She's going to talk to us a little bit about her work for Harry Reid. Um, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about this GOP tax bill. And she's going to make it uh, make sense because I don't understand anything that's in it. Um, Full disclaimer, we're recording this on Friday evening. It is not gone to the full Senate for a vote. This episode is being released Sunday. So you probably know more than we do. Dear senators, please don't vote on it yeah. yet because we still want this to be topical. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great. So let's do uh, one of our first segments, which is Tweet of the Week. Justin, Our Tweet got? of the Week uh, is a bit of a self-deprecating one this week, and it comes to us from James Breakwell, uh, and the tweet reads, Seven-year-old, do you have a podcast? Me. Do you, do you even know what a podcast is? Seven-year-old, it's that thing where you talk to yourself and no one listens. She knows exactly what a podcast is. Man, this one hits close to home. <laughs> yeah, but, but we know it's fake news because we have tons of Wow. Uh, so what we have, uh, what we have up next, uh, we have our traditional grind your gears segment. Grind our gears. Uh, we we grind all the gears. Grind. All the gears will be ground. <laughs> um, and this week we'll be talking about tax reform. How topical? Who wants right. to go first? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so if you would have asked me this three days ago, I would say that absolutely none of it makes sense to me. Um, even though I understand that it is perhaps one of the biggest pieces of policy to come before Congress in like the, at least the last decade. Um, but thanks to, again, we, we shout Professor Suarez out quite a bit in this podcast. I hope she listens. Um, she but uh, Christian and I take congressional politics class and I actually learned like a decent bit about the tax policy and like what the Republicans are trying to do in this bill and what it means and the different philosophies behind it. Um, which I think is cool. It's, it's, it's interesting to understand the difference between like the policies themselves and how they'll act and then the philosophies behind it. Because when you think like money and tax and stuff like that, it's like, okay, so like if I make this policy move, like money's going to go here, but it's not always that simple because a lot of it has to do with, you know, how people and businesses and things like that decide to respond to different actions in the market. Um, so it's like less cut and dry than you may expect, which kind of makes it interesting. And Kathy talks about that too. She finds it very exciting. I don't necessarily share that sentiment, but it's it's definitely something that I think is underappreciated um, and obviously has a very direct effect on a lot of Americans' day-to-day -day lives. I think the most frustrating thing for me 
um, is the fact that, well, I have a couple of frustrating things about economics. Um, the main one is that it's very difficult to understand. Um, but my biggest problem is the fact that you write this tax bill and like two years from now, the economic situation of the United States can be vastly different. Um, and it's incredibly difficult to predict where we're going to be economically in a couple of years. Um, and so I think like one of the most, I think they call it like dynamic scoring, uh, but it's essentially where they try to predict uh, how the economy is going to change throughout 10 years uh, so they can successfully create a tax bill and create a budget. Um, and frankly, while I don't understand really how that works, um, I think it's a, a really interesting thing to consider is when you're writing these large pieces of legislation, you are writing them, you know, at, you know, December of 2017, right? And the situation in America can be vastly different two or three years down the line. So I think it's always really interesting to consider how big any vote ever is because you are creating a law that could theoretically stand for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, and it is always difficult to understand where America will be at later on. No pressure though. Right. <laughs> so my thing is like with tax reform, it's so easily spinnable by any like good communications person who has any sort of grasp on what they're talking about. Like you can say almost anything. Like you could say that, <laughs> Um, you know, Santa will grant all three of your magic wishes in this tax bill because that's just how the economy is going to work. And like, I don't think people pe say that people would buy that, but that's the thing is like, like the two of you have already said, no one truly understands or knows or can predict where the economy is going to be in a couple of years. So, you know, you can have half the people, uh, on, on one side saying, um, this bill is going to make everything amazingly and everything amazing and it's all going to be perfect. Uh, and then the other half reads the same text and said, no, it's going to be a disaster. And, you know, it's so hard to discern truth and it's so hard to, to truly predict what will happen with pieces of legislation like this. Um, so it's like a communications person's dream, but it's a nightmare for voters who are trying to distill the truth and figure out how they want to cast their votes and, and what this will all mean for them. There's just, there's no one model that can, that can, you know, be your, your glowing orb of truth, your, your magic ball. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because it, it brings us to... Crystal ball. That's crystal what I was looking ball. for. There you go. Um, and I think this kind of leads into like one of the moments on this podcast where we have to take a step back and be like, we may not understand like barely any of this, um, but have a bit of humility here. And like we really, really respect like people who do get all of this and take the time to study this and understand like all of what's going to happen and like devote their lives to this people like Kathy, which is why she, her pod was just so exciting. Uh, her interview hearing like not only what she knows, but how she spoke about it and like her, her kind of relationship to the policy. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. So Kathy is definitely one of the people who really understands what's in this bill. Um, and also just understands how the Hill works, um, and how policy actually gets moved through Congress. There are a couple of other people though, who also understand quite well, um, how to get things done um, and understand the policy a lot more than uh, you know we do. Uh, so we actually have a couple of guest hosts this week. Um, our research director, um, Alec Kamhai. And Alec like loves this stuff. Yeah, he really does. He also understands it like way more than any of us do. Like he can actually talk about it in more than just, I think it's tax reform, uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> where some of us are at, not naming names or anything. Um, <laughs> And so Alex is going to be talking to Kathy as well as Abby Nichols, who is our communications director. Um, so they both know this way more than we do. Uh, so we figured they would be much better for this. Um, so with that, let's have them come on the pod and talk to you guys.
Kathy Koch, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here. Thank you very much. So we want to talk to you a little bit about how you got uh, started with your career in public service. You actually did your PhD in economics um, here at Georgetown, which isn't necessarily the most uh, popular route to the Hill. So how did you decide to do a PhD in econ and how how did it lead you there? Well, I decided to do a PhD in econ because I wanted to move away from my home in Pennsylvania and move to Washington. And this is how I could do it. In fact, when I got here, I wasn't even sure that I would finish. I knew I would get my master's, but it wasn't really my goal. But the more I did it, the more I kind of fell in love with it. And when I came, what I wanted to do was, believe it or not, study the welfare system, reform welfare. I had some goodness somewhere in me that I didn't know about. And but when I came here to Georgetown, what I thought was more interesting was how we raise the money to pay for those programs than, you know, how we allocate the spending. And so that's how I became so interested in tax. And I'll tell you that the PhD in econ has become, you know, between the time I chose it as a way to start a new life and the time I graduated, it got kind of hot. It's a, it's a hot degree because it's very logical. There's a lot of math and you have to write. And those are all skills that really work well in the workplace, no matter what you do. Um, so as a, a econ PhD, you might have been able to do something a bit more like lucrative, maybe in the private sector. And so what appealed the most to you about like working in the government? That's funny. You know, I never really actually weighed those things. But um, so I did my thesis across town while I was at the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is kind of the best committee to be at in tax. It's like the premier technical nonpartisan committee that looks at all the tax legislation that ever gets passed. And that was kind of sexy at the time. I went there and I worked with tax data, actual tax returns, which are only actually available to two committees on the face of the earth, and one's at the Treasury and one's at the Joint Tax Committee. So I went over there to do my thesis. And I used to just get kind of caught up in the process and the system and what's happening and kind of, you know, you wake up every morning and you open the paper and there's that thing that you're working on. And that, I guess, just kind of bit. So fast forward a little while, you finished your PhD in uh, 94. Mm-hmm. And then um, about 10, 15 years later, you found yourself working for the majority on the Senate Finance Committee uh, with Max, then Chairman Max Baucus. Um, and at that time, they ushered through the stimulus bill, um, which was one of Obama's premier legislative accomplishments early on in his presidency. So just to take us a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, what was it like to work on that inside of the Finance Committee? Well, it was super exciting. It's actually, I was lucky to have the position of chief tax counsel. I'll just do a little advertising here for my econ degree. I was the only ever non-lawyer to have that position of chief tax counsel. And we had to invent a new title for me because I'm not a counsel. So I became a tax chief, which actually, if you think about it a while, you can make a lot of jokes about that. But um, <laughs> as tax chief, I got to lead the entire introduction of the Obama administration kind of policy people to the U.S. Senate. It was fascinating. And of course, we knew him as a senator for just a little while. And I worked on the TARP, and he was instrumental. He did this beautiful floor speech right before the fun, you know, one of the TARP votes. And it was just, it swayed, actually, it changed our whip count a lot. And, um, you know, so then you're at the helm of a little group that's meeting with his tax people. It was really, you know, intoxicating. Now, what wasn't intoxicating is that we worked on stimulus and relief bills, you know, almost from the minute, you know, of the election. So we ended up working all of Christmas, you know, all those days that you're supposed to have off when you work on the Hill. 
not so much. But when we got to the to the the stimulus, the idea, just kind of a funny story, the idea of a of a refund check, right, which is what was part of the actually 2008 stimulus and the 2009 stimulus, you know, people thought that was kind of like a chuckle that, you know, we would send out a check to every American, et cetera. And I remember going home for Christmas vacation at one point and, you know, you know, making some jokes about tax refund checks. And while I was home, you know, while we were on vacation, there was a couple of very powerful op-eds written, one by Robert Rubin and then like, you know, a couple other people followed suit. And by the time I sat down in the chair after the holiday, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> tax refund. It was how are we going to do it? How are we going to deliver it? How big is it going to be? There was no longer any question of whether it would be done. And that's one of my favorite lessons from back then, which is, you know, public opinion, the press, and how we reach people is, is just so incredibly powerful. And I think a lot of times we forget about that. We don't reach out at the right level because once, you know, people read in an accessible, you know, language in an accessible media, what, what that refund check could have meant. There was no stopping it. You know, the, the, the stimulus bill was a way for us to put funds out there, you know, to stimulate the economy. So we were less concerned about, you know, somebody who perhaps, we were more concerned about getting money to the deserving than we were about keeping perhaps the undeserving from getting their hands on that cash. And that was, that's a privilege that is very different than the tax reform bill today, for example, right? To, to just put money out there is, is kind of fun. And all kinds of people come in when you are opening the bag. And so you meet with people from all over, you know, the economy, which was very interesting. And the, the ARA was a huge bill. I think we had over 500 tax amendments on the floor it was exhausting, but it, you know, to be the person who's helping lead the team that's giving out tax incentives, that was a pretty powerful feeling. I mean, it was intoxicating. Yeah. 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 It and was ARA fun. being the American Recovery yes. and Reinvestment Act. Yes. 2009 right? yeah. stimulus. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, great. So not only did you have to, you know, create this bill, come up with all the uh, different aspects of it, but you had to, you know, get it through Congress. So what was it like getting that legisl legislation through the GOP? Who did you have to talk to? What methods did you have to use to whip up those votes to make it happen? Oh, it's just, an, it's a constant iterative process. So I make a deal with you, then I make a deal with you, but, you know, you don't like the deal I made with him. So you're just constantly going back and forth and back and forth. Up there, what you first do is you talk to the chairman, your boss, you get kind of the wish list. Then you go to the people in your own caucus on the committee, kind of get their wish list. Then you go to the Republicans, which was the other party at the time, get their wish list. And every time you add somebody's wish list to the pile, you have to iterate back and back. And by the end of the day, those last final this nights before your, you know, your bill goes to the floor, you are meeting, you are definitely there at midnight with holdouts that you absolutely need. And I think one thing that is going to be interesting in this tax bill is to look at people who are in the middle, in the cusp, people who could say no and ruin the vote. They become incredibly powerful. And so there were conversations, same was true for ACA, conversations at midnight with all kinds of people who were threatening to walk. And, you know, you become very, very anxious to satisfy the whatever challenges they are making to their, you know, 
to the bill before they vote for it. So um, then after working uh, on finance, you went to the private sector with GE a little bit, um, but then came back to the Hill mm -hmm. um, and worked in Senate Majority Leader uh, Harry Reid's office. Um, but now, he, or Senate Minority Leader, I guess. Or, but he was the Majority, was the majority leader, leader then. Yeah. Um, and so, but when you took over in 2013, that was right after the fiscal cliff drama. That's right. Um, so what were your first few months on the job like? Because that had, there had to be a lot of fallout from that. You know, I had always been a huge fan of Harry Reid. I got to know Harry Reid. Every big bill is run by the leader. So, you know, I work for the committee chair, but you're constantly interacting with the leader because it's his job to sell to the caucus your ideas, right? Um, you know, the ideas of your chairman. So I watched him work. He was really quite selfless, actually, on a legislative um, and a personal level, to tell you the truth. But I was very comfortable. I was just so excited to be working for him. And believe me, when someone comes to you and you have a good job with a pretty good company and says, do you want to cut your income? <laughs> do you want to take massive percentages of your income and throw them away? And you say yes. You know, that's a kind of a silly decision. But I did it. And I, it was the, one of the best career moves I ever made. So from the minute I got there, that place was kind of hot no matter what. The leader's offices are kind of, that's the crucible of the, you know, your party policy. And so it's kind of neat to be there. And, and the one thing I liked is you learn about all the other things that are going on. Net neutrality, topic of the day, right? Learned all about that just by being in the room, just talking about everything that's going on. So there was never a dull moment, never a dull moment. You're listening to the flagship geopolitics podcast, Fly on the Wall, and we'll be right back. This week's political fun fact comes to you from James Monroe in a kind of sad political fun fact, in my opinion. Uh, so James Monroe in the 1820 election received every electoral vote but one. Um, and that's because a New Hampshire delegate believed that George Washington should, should be the only president elected unanimously, um, which is number one, a power move for the record. Um, but also kind of sad for James Monroe. He was so close. I mean, I kind of respect the principle, you know. You were also in the office for Obama's uh, budget proposal in 2015, yeah? Uh, so that feels kind of like the opposite of the current GOP tax bill. And so did Obama's budget proposal like ever stand a chance in the Republican uh, Congress? You know, I was just leaving then, right? Because I left at the beginning of 2015 or kind of the first quarter. And, and things were like, you know, those budget proposals are hard. You're working all night long, and it becomes kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat on little tiny things. You know, the, the big things on, on some of those budget proposals had to do with the child tax credit, earned income tax credit. You know, these are emotionally laden, you know, um, provisions and issues. Did it ever have a chance? 
it should have. You know, I mean, the, there's there's a, a lot of politics is geographical, right? And it has to do with who's in your district rather than kind of these big issues like the estate tax, et cetera. But um, kind of, I'm trying to think back, and I think my tar my focus was already kind of on on moving on. So um, most recently in 2015, uh, you made yet another transition back to the private sector. That's right. Um, and so now you're at EY as America's tax policy leader. Um, so what does that mean? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, what does it mean to be America's tax policy leader? Well, it's pretty fun because what I get to do is coordinate tax policy networks across North and South America. And of course, that sounded fascinating to me, but I had never even gone to South America. So I immediately started not only going there for business, but every vacation I've been on since then, I drag my four children and we, or three of them, and we just march through a different country in South America. So the learning these economies is fascinating. Learning how different legislatures work is fascinating. I think we are a very misunderstood government across the world because the, the more I've seen anyway, the more I realize how different we are than other, than other countries, the parliamentary systems where things are so much easier to get through. A lot of people will call me and they'll still ask, you know, whether the, you know, the, the blueprint is law yet. And you think, well, that just doesn't happen here. It's not that, like there's a proposal and people kind of think it's okay and it goes. And coordinating all these networks and learning how legislation works all across the wor world really is pretty interesting. It's also pretty interesting to see different lobbying laws. Like here in the US, we have a very active set of lobbyists and it's really built into the system. The whole system is based on advocating for yourself or for your interest to government, going to staffers. In other, some other countries that doesn't happen. In some other countries it's not allowed. In other countries it can only happen through industry groups. That was fascinating to me. So we try to make sure that if a client comes in the front door, you know, that's a multinational client, that we can help them stay up to date with tax policy changes no matter, you know, where they are. They can call one person, and, and I'm that person, and that's a lot of fun. And so, as you know, I'm sure uh, GOP uh, has had some success with uh, passing their tax bill through the House, and now um, I heard it just got through the Senate committee as well. So with a tax bill like that, um, how does it affect a firm like EY that hires students? Oh, it will definitely have a big effect on us anyway. I mean, I work in tax, right? The yeah. Big accounting firms generally, you know, they do tax, they do audit, you know, they do kind of other different activities. But for the tax people, this is, I mean, this is like a dream come true for all of us. Mm -hmm. However, um, here's the thing about our business, you know, we only... We're not capital intensive, right? We're people. So if we, you know, the only thing we do is create jobs. So that's, this is kind of good for students in this case because there's a lot more activity in tax when these kind of things are happening. There'll be tons more activity in tax if this thing passes and people are going to, there's a huge, this is a sea change in, in the way, a court, you know, the tax landscape is going to look for any multinational company. So, that takes a lot of, you know, talking to somebody, people who study this. I mean, people, clients are anxious to know. So there'll be a lot of, there'll be a lot of jobs created on this, I think, at least in our company and in our industry. Uh, 
the bill, I think, will pass. And I think it will, you know, it could pass the full Senate. As you indicated, it went through the Senate Budget Committee today. Um, they kind of did some, you know, process things today, but that were important to smooth passage of this bill in the Finance Committee. It goes on the finance floor tomorrow. This is a big deal. There's only 20 hours of debate. So we'll be starting to vote on amendments really soon. 20 hours can run really fast. I mean, we may be looking at a bill on Friday that could ultimately be the, you know, the law on 1118. That's pretty amazing. And it's really complicated stuff. Really complicated. So I expect to have a job after this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, um, so just kind of tying all of this together, you've seen the uh, impact of tax policy from the private sector perspective and from the um, public sector perspective, but a lot of people don't get finance and tax policy. You, like you just mentioned, it's complicated, but it is a, a critical function of Congress, of the legislative agenda, is to, is to do the, uh, tax, uh, the tax system and to do the budget. Um, so how do we communicate this? to a larger group of people, you've now done two events here at Georgetown uh, on tax policy. So how, does this, how do we make this issue accessible to more people? Tax is hard to make accessible because people don't realize how fascinating it is <laughs> <laughs> on the average. I think tax is so important because it's how we you know, raise money to pay for things like roads and you know, sewers and all this kind of stuff and, and airports and everything that we use in our daily lives. But it also kind of we use tax not only to raise money, but to, you know, to push social goals. We just do, you know, and, and this happens to be kind of a, a famous split between maybe what we call more Republican or conservative people and more liberal or more Democrat people is, you know, should we use taxes to redistribute income? Do I tax you because you're wealthy and give it to her because she's not like and, you know, uh, that's one way we use tax to push social goals. We also use tax to push goals like renewable energy. I mean, our whole renewable energy policy in this country sits in the tax code. We have all kinds of credits and support and incentives for renewable energy. So I think if people understood that it's not just a way to raise money, it is actually an in, it's a way to appropriate money without going through an appropriations committee, actually. I mean, it's a way to raise money and to give away money. And it, I think if people understood all the different areas we touch, they would be more interested. I mean, as a career, you cannot beat it. Um, when we did things on the floor in the Senate, you know, finance committee was always part of it because, you know, we raise money for energy policy. We do, we're involved in um, housing policy. We're involved in banking policy. We're involved, you know, we're just got our hands all over everything, um, which makes it fun. So we're going to transition into our last segment, which we like to call the lightning round. We're just going to ask you um, a couple questions and uh, just the shortest answer, uh, the, the first answer that comes to your head. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. So if there's one provision in this GOP tax bill uh, which could sink its chances for success, what is it? ACA. The ACA repeal. I think that could be the most controversial one. Um, and you think it'll pass? I do. Okay. So what's the most frustrating and rewarding part of working with members in Congress and getting legislation passed? The most frustrating part is that Politics trumps policy. And you can talk about good policy all night long. And if it means that, you know, if it's not accessible to voters and it means they're going to get hurt at the polls, you are not going to get it done. Um, and the most rewarding part is getting it done. 
like sometimes you get you get to design entire policies and they become law and that's kind of fun so last question um before we started recording you briefly mentioned to me the tax prom um <laughs> what's that i never said anything about that <laughs> <laughs> no. so the tax prom is an annual prom that we have in the tax community that <clears throat> entails us everyone gets dressed up and tax people are wonderful wonderful people but if you had to list all the industries by fashion we may not actually <laughs> be we would be at one end and perhaps not the other of that spectrum but on tax prom night we all look good we're all dressed up and we all go to a fancy dinner and drink as much as we perhaps should and <laughs> And we have, and then, and you see everyone from the private and public sector. And since tax is kind of a small community, you pretty much have all those 500 people or whatever in the room that you've ever worked with for one night. So one night a year, you can say you saw everyone you know and you work. And it's quite fun. Quite the scene, I'd say. Quite the scene. Yeah, great. So that kind of wraps everything up. So thank you for joining us here. It's been great having you and listening to your answers. Well, thank you very much. And thank you. We have to give this shout out for being a Geopolitics Advisory Board member. Oh, and thank you for having <laughs> me. That is one of my favorite things that I do. So thank thanks you. again for uh, being on the podcast. Thank you. So I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot from that podcast, um, specifically what tax reform is. Um, but also just how policy works on the Hill and getting a better understanding of, um, I guess, what the policymaking process is, which is something we really don't um, see a lot, I guess, on, you know, national news all the time. Yeah. And it's tough, I think, like, especially for kind of politics nerds like the three of us, and we assume like most of you, um, having that really awesome perspective. It's like, I want to be there someday, you know, even if it's not working on tax policy in particular, but being in the room where that work is being done where you just like sit there late nights um all that grueling effort really pouring like your life into something that you do truly believe in you feel like is something that's going to benefit a lot of hardworking americans across the country yeah and i uh, for me it was exciting to get some new voices on the pod very rarely are the three of us willing to like give up being on the podcast just because we love doing this so much uh, but it was really refreshing to get uh, some new blood out there. And I think they did a fantastic job. So thank you, Alec and Abby, for working and being great team members for us. But also, uh, you know, diving in and taking uh, taking the spot over. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, we hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, definitely tune in next week. We, I know you're thinking, okay, it's final season. Uh, they're done with podcasts. Thank God. I can stop listening. Um, that is wrong. <laughs> wrong. Hashtag fake news. Uh, that is, in fact, fake news. Um, we will still be coming out with podcasts for the next couple of weeks. We have been hard at work to make sure that you guys will still have contact going into uh, the holidays. So stay tuned. Listen in. We still have some incredible guests coming throughout the rest of the couple of weeks. I really do think that some of our next few guests are some of the most interesting conversations we've ever had. Um, so definitely tune in next week. Sounds good. All right. Talk to y'all later. And please sit up to the mic. I understand it's like the end of the semester and you're tired, but oh, oh, wait, the mic's come down to him. No. Okay. I'm really comfortable like this. I, I sometimes wish this is one of those moments that I wish this podcast had like a visual component because Aaron is a very, I don't even understand the physics of this, laying down on what looks like thin air.
but I think is like a, a, a little shelf over there. There's like a nice shelf over here. It doesn't look comfortable. It's like not, but it's more comfortable than standing or sitting. When do we right. ever sta- stand when we do this podcast? Uh, you're standing currently. Can I'm we do a standing podcast? Sitting. I'm half sitting. Just uh, think of that. No one would know. 